are listening to the Fuerte Network. Welcome, everyone, to We Are Home Arizona, an immigration podcast. I am Dani Orona. I'd like to welcome everybody and thank you all once again for your continuous support. For everyone that has been reaching out to Fuerte and for everyone that has shared the podcast, I want to thank you for helping us out. If you guys know of any friends or family members that could benefit from any of this information, please don't hesitate to tag them in these episodes. Share them. Leave a comment on our page. Give us that five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast and leave a review. Trust me, it really helps us out and gives us kind of your viewpoint on what we are doing right here with this podcast. I'd like to welcome my partners here for this program. To my left, I have Carlos Navarro. Carlos, how are you doing? Hey, what's up, Danny? I'm doing good. ¿Cómo estás tú? Doing very good. Thank you. And of course, Karina Dominguez joining us again. Karina, how are you? Hi, everyone. I'm doing well. I'm excited to get get started and talk about this. Yes, especially this is going to be a great episode. We have something that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, kind of in our own offices. And, mm-hmm. you know, debates been going around uh, back and forth. We see we, we kind of see both sides of everything. And I think we agree uh, on a conclusion. And we are going to be talking about the dreamer narrative. Should we stop referring to ourselves as dreamers? Should it continue to be a word used in policy, in legislation, and in overall conversation, you know, in mm-hmm. with everyday speaking? Because it may not sound like much. It may not sound bad at all. It may even be a positive thing. You know, oh, my, my hijos are dreamers, mi niños son soñadores, and things like that. But there's another side to this, and, I, and I'm glad that we're going to be able to take a deep dive into this issue, and uh, hopefully we'll let some people see that other side and maybe even change some minds. But before we get into that, Carlos, I want to give an update on what we are, uh, what we're seeing from the legislation. So what do you got for us? Yeah, of course. The Build Back Better plan, a really important vote happened, I believe last Friday the 19th. The House actually passed the Build Back Better plan with the immigration provisions. So parole, as it stands now, is still being considered. The bill heads to, to the Senate because first things get voted on the House and then they get sent to the Senate. And then if it gets passed in the Senate, it gets sent to the president's desk for signing. So right now, parole is still inside of the bill. It's heading to the Senate. Uh, it looks like it might be a, a tough challenge, but we'll, we'll keep monitoring it. But right now it's in the Senate and it passed the House. Now, my understanding was that the House, not that it was easy, but it was always going to be the easier hill to climb over in terms of mm-hmm. passing. So that has happened. We got, even though we had some uh, some Democrats vote no against it, and surprisingly, some Republicans voted yes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think the vote was actually, it was 220 to 213. So some Democrats did vote vote no. And you had some like cross-party voting. So it was pretty interesting. I think the House, like you were saying, is an easier like uphill battle, the Senate's going to be a little harder because uh, the margin, the big monster, yeah, the big monsters, the minority leader. You even have like some Democrats that you know are kind of iffy, like like Cinema, for example, nuestra favorita. Yep. So it might be a little harder. And for me, I'm a little anxious to see like what the final bill will look like because the Senate, you know, they still have the ability to to make changes and stuff. So we'll see like what happens. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if they decide to make some changes and they decide, for example, to want to take out parole out of all of this, then they vote on it. They 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 take out the parts they want to take out. But if they change it, it has to go back to the House. Right. It does not go to the president. I believe so. Um, Like if there's amendments, it gets voted on. And I think it gets passed back. Uh, I'm not very sure on that. Right. Process. Because uh, like to my understanding, the Senate, the, the House 
passed and gave them a version of this. Mm. So it's all like, if you're going to change it, that's not the version we passed. So it, by logic, it should not go to the president after that, you know? So, well, yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. And uh, for us to do our part, we can call up our lovely senator. The information is going to be posted right here on the in the comment section and in the show notes. But yeah, make sure you guys are keep texting both her and Mark Kelly, uh, tell her, telling them that this is what we want and this is what they should do for our community. Text them, tweet at them, send them messages, you know, follow them into the restroom and try to interview them. <laughs> yeah, annoy them, honestly, because we deserve a lot. I think at the end of the day, we deserve better than the parole. And, you know, we got parole, so we should fight for it. It's like that commercial says, we've compromised enough. Yeah. And so, like, so I, I can't imagine compromising more. Honestly, I, no, I, hey, I cannot. We didn't think we'd get this low. Yeah. I didn't think I'd get this low. And while it is a me decepcioné, like I got disappointed, I'm not going to go lower. All right. So then we will definitely keep you guys informed on that. If it happens before next week's recording, make sure you guys are following Fuerte on Instagram, on Facebook. We will be updating things as they happen to keep you guys up to date with all of the latest news. But without further ado, let's get into our main event today, and which is talking about this streamer narrative. Karina, I'm very excited that you decided to hop on with us again today because this is something that you have been focusing on for the last couple of weeks. Not only are you doing this episode, but you are doing kind of a project of your own based around this issue, are you not? Yeah, I'm actually doing a video. It's an interview video with three undocumented youth who technically would fall under the category of dreamers, but they're choosing to reject that term. And that video is just about how the movement should reject it and the steps that we can do to move forward. And one of them being here with us today, of course. Yes, Carlos. Yeah, spoiler, I'm, <laughs> I'm also on that. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start with that? How did the, the idea for this video project come around? Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a while in the making, I guess. My experience, I technically would be considered a dreamer, right, by definition, but I think the community, the undocumented community, has seen very negative effects that come out from that term and from that narrative. So we just thought that it was time to be more inclusive and time to make sure that everyone gets included in like pathway to citizenship plans. And one way to do that is to reject this term. So that's why we decided to uh, to talk about this openly with the community and see where we we can take it from here. And Carlos, what was it like working with Karina on this project? I, I've known you for a while now, and I think mm -hmm. um, we've always had kind of this conversation going on in the background, uh, either organizing or planning things at school or even outside of school, uh, different actions and stuff. I think it's a really important topic just because there's a lot of division mm -hmm. among people, whether to use it or not. I know we have uh, our views and I think me and you like align pretty well on yeah. like where we stand on it but I think it's really important and I'm excited also to talk about it now we go back 20 years to where we first start hearing this term of course it's when uh, we brought want to bring around the dream act and that was I, I believe the first piece of legislation aimed at giving a pathway to citizenship for the dreamers Mm -hmm. And who were, the, in your own words, Karina, who are, who were the dreamers that they were talking mm -hmm. about 20 years ago? Well, in the 2001 DREAM Act, basically the people who would get citizenship from this bill were children who entered the U.S. They basically have no criminal background. They also had to meet certain work, education, and military requirements. So it was very specific. Basically, the DREAMer narrative sought to grant citizenship to undocumented youth who again came to the U.S. as they call it through no fault of their own. You know, they're youth who are usually college-bound. They're free of criminal background. And 
and they basically call the U.S. their home and they want to contribute to the economy. That's basically like the basis of the dreamer narrative and where the term dreamer came from. I mean, on paper, this all sounds like fair, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people who were brought here, quote unquote, good people, good immigrants and uh, people who will be kind of giving back into the uh, into society, you know, doing all the good things and, you know, taking all the quote unquote bad immigrants, keeping them out of this, you know, piece of legislation. So why now are we choosing to kind of get away from that dreamer mm -hmm. narrative as you as you put it you did mention that inclusivity was part of it mm -hmm. can you go a little bit more into that yeah i think as like you know as time has gone by we have realized that the good and the bad immigrant narrative isn't really something that i would say is done fairly or is done accurately by the u.s government in you know especially in 2010 we saw a lot of families being deported through sb 1070 and You know, Obama, during the time he was president, he said he was only focusing on criminals. But in reality, a lot of those people were families. And as we know, the U.S. government, the criminal justice system is racist. So when they say that someone is a criminal, they're just really not. You know, they might just have been stopped by the police because of a traffic violation and that automatically made them criminals. But we know that just the way that the U.S. defines criminals is not fair and these people were not actually criminals and who are they to decide who who is worthy and who is not right and i think it, it goes down because there's several different things at play here one of those is that word you know being a criminal having a record and something as simple as you know technically jaywalking you not have a mm -hmm. record yeah. you know, you want you want to you've been speeding you have a criminal record yeah things like that that might automatically You know, if you're going by the letter of the law, you jaywalked, so you are not a person that the United States wants to have mm -hmm. in, you know, in it. You know, you you weren't, you would not be a productive citizen because of that. Carlos, how did you view this uh, dreamer narrative before this project came to you? I think it came at a really interesting time for me just because I've had a lot of uh, growth, I guess, in, in my own politics and the, the way I see the world. I think I'm pretty the same, same much as, as, as Karina in the fact that I think now that we're older and I think the movement is is progressing a little to seeing like the effects of criminalization. I think um, Black Lives Matter, there's a lot of like intertwining like systems at play. Racial profiling, we know that leads to, uh, I don't want to say illegal stops, but basically like at least to illegal stops, illegal seizures, you know. I mean, they are. I mean, if, we, if we're talking las cosas como son, say. it's illegal because, well, it, like profiled. what we used to say with uh, SB 1070, you're driving while brown. Yeah, and so. you're three times more likely to be deported for suspected crimes just exactly. because of the color of your skin. I think if you start understanding the the way people get criminalized, the way people get incarcerated, then you start realizing, oh, people are much more likely to to even be arrested and then deemed criminals and then deported or and then left out of bills, left out of scholarships, like left out on any programs just because of the way the systems that, that surround us are built. So I think that's kind of where, where I stand too. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's just so many systems at play where like that that whole idea of, of the dreamer narrative and not being a criminal and being perfect, it's impossible in a racist system. Yep, I completely agree with you on that. One of the other things that I want to touch on right now while we're still on the subject of this, the Dream Act first was introduced in 2001. Mm -hmm. And here we are 20 years later, there's no Dream Act. 
it yeah. still has not passed. <laughs> so like this is something that comes up every two or every four years when politicians need votes, when people need support behind their campaigns and they mm-hmm. would like to throw in that word. You know, I'm going to help the dreamers. I'm going to yeah. do this for the dream. I'm going to support the Dream Act. And uh, once they're in office and it just never gets spoken of again after 20 years of just seeing dream act fail dream mm-hmm. act fail dream act fail is it almost like synonymous with it now that we want to continue with this dreamer narrative when all it's been you know compared to its failure throughout mm-hmm. the last 20 years yeah i think you know after seeing the dream act try to pass and then it never does. It gets stuck in the Senate. It gets stuck in the House, wherever it gets stuck. I think that really shows that even if we follow, you know, this narrative, even if we are, quote unquote, trying to be perfect, at the end of the day, we don't really have the resources that we need. You know, this is especially true when it comes to students. They tell you, you know, you need to have a 4.0. You need to have a lot of community service hours. You need to be involved in the community. And then you'll be able to get resources to go to college. And you'll be able to, you know, get all of these things because you followed the right path. But in reality, like, that's not true. You have students who do have the 4.0, who do have all of these extracurriculars and at the end of the day there's no resources for them the dream act is trying to pass it seems like the perfect legislation but politicians don't just don't want it to because they know that that is a way to get how you said the votes in it's a way to keep us kind of on our toes and then whenever they don't need us anymore they forget about us i think that that's interesting that you say that because that reminds me of a couple of years ago i think it was 2019 um me and a, a group of people were like lobbying like congressmen to, mm-hmm. to pass the dream act and i remember sitting in on meetings with senators them taking pictures of us and taking pictures with us obviously to use us as marketing mm-hmm. and then they vote no and i think that was a moment for me where i was like we're like political currency we matter for votes i don't know that kind of like i didn't like that yeah. i felt really used and and betrayed just essentially by the whole system and i think i just felt used um mm-hmm. and i think every time like a dream act tries passing we try to i don't know tell americans or to tell like the government we're perfect like please love us like please like accept us please 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 and it never happens mm-hmm. yes yeah, it's, it's tokenizing is what it is mm-hmm. yeah. like all those pictures that you took and everything i'm sure that all those made rounds and made everyone believe yeah. oh yeah he's for Oh, he's pro-immigrant. He's pro-community because Mm -hmm. he sat down with these kids and listened to them and everything. He had one in his office. (laughs) Exactly. So by just by virtue of having that, it pulls in those votes, but not really. We've never seen a follow up on those promises. So, like I said, it's, it's been 20 years and I'll keep repeating that because that's that's a lifetime. Yeah. 20 years. I think uh, it's interesting how you said lifetime, because for a lot of us, like we're not kids anymore. (laughs) Right. There are like 30, 40 year old DACA recipients, people who, who grew up in the 80s or 90s under the same narrative that are now in their 40s, 50s. Maybe they haven't gotten a status. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really big myth that it's kids because at the end of the day, like I'm not a child anymore. Like, yeah. I'm not. I don't. A lot of the narrative was blaming your parents. But when you become a parent, like you start realizing I would do anything for my kid. Right. And the dream narrative at the end of the day, I don't know how you feel about this, Karina, but I think it criminalizes our parents and tells them that you did something wrong. I shouldn't suffer because you did something wrong. Like mm-hmm. it's your fault. But at the end of the day, your parents cross borders for you. Your parents learn new languages for you. Your parents leave their whole families behind for you. 
And why would I be mad at that? Yeah. I should be grateful. And I think our parents, in a way, also kind of internalize that. Because this was mentioned in a previous episode, but a lot of them always say, Si tú tienes papeles, so si tú estás bien, yo estoy bien. Mm -hmm. So they only want us to be okay because they know that the government is only focusing on us. And as long as we're okay, then, you know, it doesn't really matter for them. But the truth is that it does. They should be the ones getting citizenship first, right. if anything. No, I completely agree with that. And, you know, the three of us went through that with our parents having done what they did, having crossed the borders that they crossed. And honestly, I, I think you guys will agree with me that I have a lot more opportunity. I have a lot, lot more chances and, a, a, you know, a shot at a better life with or without like being documented or undocumented. I have a lot better here than I would in Mexico. I could definitely see and I have seen friends that literally blame their parents. Like, mm -hmm. this is your fault that, that I'm like this. And uh, I'm not going to mention names, but I have, I saw that um, a fight like that happened between a mother and son. And he literally said, if I could vote, I would vote to deport you because this is how shitty my life has been. I think a lot of that is a narrative that gets built by both sides in order to not only mm -hmm. turn people against immigrants, but turn kids against their own parents this is what they did to you so we need to punish them for that mm -hmm. and sadly it worked sadly it worked and in that case and i'm sure in many cases around that is i, I found it disgusting yeah. because i know yeah, what my mom went through and i know what um, i'm sure all of our parents did in order to give us this better life Our first kind of shot at this, at, at, at a better life, came in the form for many of us in DACA. So what is the difference between being a DACA recipient and being a dreamer? Honestly, I don't think there's a difference, especially for me. I, you know, I don't have DACA. I didn't qualify for the program. Uh, usually when politicians or more specifically, like in the education setting when like scholarships or educators refer to dreamers they refer to daca recipients mm -hmm. they never re referred to me they were never talking about me so i know that you know there can be dreamers without daca technically but for me it's the same thing daca pretty much had the same requirements as the dream act and it's just really exclusive well that's why i wanted to know because not on paper but just like if you look at it from 30,000 feet, it's essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm. But yet not all dreamers can be DACA recipients. What What is it in the text that leaves people out of the DACA program? Well, for me, it was the the time that you had to like be in the U.S. So for DACA, it was June of 2007. So if you came anytime after that, then you no longer qualify for the program. And for the DREAM Act, I believe they usually have like a wider time frame. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it still leaves people out because of the date. Yeah. And I think the way it was designed, I think people like to throw out the the number 800,000, which is what originally, that was how many DACA recipients there were. I think currently there's around 600,000. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a lot. 600,000 out of 11 million undocumented people. That's right. like a drop, drop in a bucket. No mm -hmm. son muchos. 
So I think, you know, out of like all the undocumented people, I think DACA and that policy, I think it served Obama politically like well, like it was good on the face. It, it, was, it was good, I guess, for his campaign and for like politically, because he is known as the person who deported the most people. Yep. Like he deported a, a lot of people. But at the end of the day, but that, hey, he gave us this. So but he, he, he should, must should be, be a happy. good guy. <laughs> yeah, you should be happy we gave you this. Like, right. That's how I felt. But it's not a lot of people like there's not a lot of DACA recipients out of out of all the undocumented people. And I think that's the way it was built to not mm -hmm. give something to as many people as possible. Plier v. Doe. Carlos, can you explain a little bit more about this uh, court case? Yeah, of course. I think it's super relevant, especially to this conversation, because it's one of the first times a government body or someone from the government said, look, kids shouldn't be punished for the actions of their parents, which kind of started the, the dreamer narrative, at least officially. And you start seeing that same language in, in future policies that stem from that court case. So DACA, like kids shouldn't be punished for, for the actions of their parents. That came from Plyer v. Doe. And then we see that again in conversations about new Dream Acts. Oh, kids, again, kids shouldn't be punished for the actions of their parents. It all really comes back to Plyer v. Doe in 1982. It's a Supreme Court case that was basically uh, in Texas where... The, the Texas government was denying kids a K-12 education, but the court kind of decided that, you know, you can't punish kids. It's a cruel and unusual punishment to, to not let kids go to school, especially like primary and elementary education. Right. Like they should be allowed to go to school. But I think the, the underlying like narrative and, and the important part was that phrase, like kids shouldn't be punished for the actions of their parents. And that had like future ramifications for, for how policies in the future were, were implemented and kind of only focusing on that specific group of people. It gave them a chance to go K through 12. Mm -hmm. And when you're at K through 12, at least in my own experience, it is just hounded on you to learn as much as you can. You're gonna go to college and you're gonna get a great profession. You're gonna do it. So you grow with this kind of expectations, this gaining of knowledge, this gaining of a lifestyle where your job as a person is to learn And you go through that for your first 18 years of your life, graduate high school, and then what do they expect of us? Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of government, nothing, that's it. Like, that's the only the only education they're supposed to give you, and then you figure out on your own. Go, growing up in, like, going, like, in high school and then the last two years, it, and I don't know how you feel, Karina, but, like, it was anxiety because I was like, mm -hmm. how am I going to afford school? Like, should I should I leave? I was like 17 researching California policies because I knew they had at least like better immigration policies. But right. people don't really know what's next after K to 12 if they want to continue. Yeah. And I think like for me, the narrative really also affects your mental health because how you mentioned, Danny, you know, if you just go to school, if you learn, if you stay up, like keep up with your grades, then you'll have a chance to go to college. That's what they ingrain in you. But for me, like I had a four point something weighted GPA. I was top 1% of my class. And, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to make it to college easy. Like the other people who are in the top 1%, they got four rights to go to school. Like they're yep. going straight to a university. But when it came time to me, literally the only scholarship I got was a $1,000 scholarship from Burger King. <laughs> uh, shout out to Burger King. But like, <laughs> you know, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting my education to be covered and i think that narrative just really damages the way that you look at yourself because you tried so hard and like for what exactly and you know what i commend you because you did try and you did try it all the way to the end i'll be honest i gave up 
mm-hmm. I was the 4.0 student. I was the smartest kid in the class student, homework on time student. And when it came time around my junior, senior year, where like it became clear that you're not going to college, you're not getting it paid for. If you try to go by yourself, it's like insane mm-hmm. amount of out-of-state tuition yeah. money. And it kind of became apparent that, all right, this is not... I'm I'm not going to be doing what I thought I was. Mm-hmm. I completely gave up on everything except graduating. And uh, the only thing that I did that for is because no one had ever done it in my family. Yeah. So my me and my cousin, who were the same year, they're like, all right, if we make it this far, if we get that diploma, that's a win for our family. And maybe the next generation, you know, my sister, she was born here. She's a citizen. She can take it all the way and, you know, go on to college. But no, I did the bare minimum, my final, especially my final year, senior year, I would see the syllabus what how can i get a c a d a c you know as long as i don't fail give me my credits give me what i need get barely enough i think i went from like a four point something to like a two point something gpa mm-hmm. and um a lot of it because why am i going to put in the effort if i'm not going to get anything out of it so i got my degree and went right into the into the workforce and i thought okay this is my life there's nothing wrong with it all my entire family you know you go to school for like most of my family didn't even finish sixth grade. So you go to school for as long as you can. You start working. You meet your partner. You have a family and you try to get them to go to school mm-hmm. and see how they do. When DACA rolled around that, I was able to get out. And I've talked, I, I touched on this before on, on past episodes. But then that's when I actually started getting back into trying to make something of myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of it had to do me in my mind internalizing that i'm no longer a dreamer i i that's it i'm this this life is done for me so i think at that point is when i rejected it for myself Mm -hmm. not the term as a whole but just for myself i'm no longer a dreamer but i'm willing to help other dreamers it wasn't until this year that i started seeing all this and especially when this uh the the, these articles started coming out and uh for instance like projects like yours canina when i started seeing all this is that a lot of people are being left out and a lot of people are being described as dreamers, which are not. Some people are not, which are. And it's just mm-hmm. gotten so confusing. No, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think um, we, I don't know, the, the terminology and, and the narratives, I, I don't know. We don't, we barely use any, like, like, like politically, we barely use any of the same ideas from the 80s. Like, why are we still using the dreamer narrative like right now? Like. I don't think it has a place, especially like where the movement is right now. I don't specifically see like why we can't move forward and dream new and like have better ideas and dream of a better world. I feel like we're we, we like to get stuck in, in old ways right. and old ideas and things that worked in the past. But I think it's like I agree. Like I think it's time for something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh my mom, she'll still use a mop. She won't go up to a Swiffer because that's what she's been <laughs> using her whole life. I bought my parents a dishwasher. No one no one knows how to use it. No one's opened it. I was like, I'm going to be the best son ever. I got them a dishwasher. They've never had a dishwasher. No one uses it. So, I mean. <laughs> I actually, the first time I got a, a, an apartment with a dishwasher, it just became a glorified dish rack because I would it still wash the dishes in the sink and put them in the dishwasher just to dry. And uh, so it wouldn't take up any space on the <laughs> counter, but I've never used an actual dishwasher. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, I think going back to like the term being confusing, even when like uh, a version of the Dream Act is announced, a lot of people on social media, I always see this. They're like, oh, is this open to non-DACA recipients? And is this open to like just DACA recipients? And 
even people in the community themselves like they're so confused that they don't know who qualifies mm -hmm. like a lot of people without daca are able to qualify based on like when they got to the u.s but just because they don't have daca they think they don't qualify right so the community themselves are giving each other like false information and the really the easiest way to solve that is just to get rid of the term and be specific like if you're only referring to daca recipients don't say dreamers just say daca recipients mm -hmm. if you're referring to like young undocumented populations and say you know young immigrants i think we can use better terms that are less confusing to the community and at the end of the day you know that's the goal we don't want to confuse our own community right yeah no, i definitely agree i think uh, and I don't know what like what, what like you use now or like to define yourself or or you identify as, but honestly, like sometimes I just like I've gone to use more like just undocumented, mm -hmm. and I think it's a more like I guess inclusive term because eleven million out of versus six hundred thousand, like yeah, yeah, like I think not people don't don't feel left out, and I think in legislation and and the way like news news channels do it too, like you should be specific because they're always like some it's para los dreamers like like <laughs> they'll just say dreamers mm -hmm. and people get confused yeah local news stations you know exactly who you are you do the <laughs> bare minimum to reach out and use the vaguest term possible in order to do your journalistic you know job so it's uh that, that that's why i'm seeing a lot more people start to go with more independent news sources mm. more independent reporting and less and less you know the mainstream of the big channels mm -hmm. especially the big channels in spanish and again you know who you are <laughs> not naming names uh, karina <laughs> just a plain question to you what's a good immigrant everyone <laughs> i don't think there's good or bad immigrants like who gets to decide that i think we're all worthy of you know, living a peaceful life, being here, taking care of our family. And, you know, if you do, like, if you do mess up, you have the opportunity to, like, redeem yourself. You shouldn't be punished for it. You should be able to, you like... You have to carry that the rest yeah, of your life. Yeah, like, get back in the community, you know, get involved, fix your mistakes. And, you know, everyone's a good immigrant as long as, you know, you're in community and you're helping each other out. Carlos, do you have a definition for a bad immigrant? Honestly, I don't really necessarily see anyone as bad because I understand how people can be categorized as bad in the country. I think a lot of the like people who who use government deems as bad get stuck with like really bad punishment. I think the government uses deportation as a punishment for deviating from from what they want you. One hundred percent. Like from you know like being like quote unquote good so i think people people aren't born undocumented people aren't born like bad people i think are made undocumented i think a lot of like the stories i hear of quote-unquote bad immigrants like oh someone stole something or anything like that but at the end of the day like like there's poverty there's criminalization there's all these systems that are at play so i don't think necessarily like anyone is bad just like i think every person deserves a a chance to just live in peace and if they mess up like people mess up like we're human like i'm right. gonna mess up like i could like go jaywalk right now or i could go do <laughs> not saying that i'm going to i'm so sorry <laughs> um but um you know people mess up people are human people make mistakes just because they're immigrants doesn't mean they're not human exactly and i love both of your answers to this uh, the only reason why i asked is because 
politicians love to use these terms, especially when when they're kind of doing like that thinly veiled kind of support for their immigration policies. Oh, yes, uh, not all of them, but we want to give the good people, the good immigrants, mm-hmm. this good life for us. And we want to get rid of all. And that is like in mainstream. They don't even try to hide something like that. So for them to try to define a, a person based on one day in their life that they might have messed up is just completely ludicrous to me. But we see it every single day with these politicians. So let's stop trying to judge people based on one mistake. And, you know, that goes for all people, because I like to use um, the example of this person stole something from a store. He is a bad immigrant. Okay, well, I mean, what does that make a a citizen that stole from a store like? Is it should he be allowed to stay here? Should we transform to a jail outside of where he lives? Like, Mm -hmm. what 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 is what is the difference between that? And why are you harping so much on this good and bad narrative? Yeah, honestly, there's so many reasons why we could probably have like a three hour podcast. (laughs) No, it's the good and bad immigrant narrative. It messes up with your mental health. It sets like unrealistic standards for us to follow. There's just so many things that are wrong with it. And I guess I would like to hear the perspective of someone who is for the dreamer narrative. Like, what do they see as the good things of why we should keep it? Because the way that I see it, the bad, like far outweigh the good, if there is any good. I think at the end of the day, too, the, the dreamer narrative uh, and going back to like criminalization, um, we know things like the school to prison pipeline exists, uh, low income like affects school achievement. I think one, one of the biggest examples that I started learning about is the criminalization of black migrants in specific, uh, just because there's so much uh, interaction with the criminal justice system. And I think it's important to talk about because I think the black migrant experience isn't as spoken about. In, in media and they should be given more of a voice because they also matter. Black migrants are three times more likely to be deported for suspected criminal offenses. They're 7% of the undocumented population. They're part of our community, but they're 20% of all deportation proceedings. And it kind of just reminds you of like the incarceration rate and the racial bias in the criminal justice system and how that leads to deportation or being taken out of bills or being taken out of uh, legislation. And that just kind of affects like your whole life because just that system is so bad and so heavily policed and racist that uh just because of the color of your skin you're more likely to be deported and that goes that that's the same for for brown migrants and we saw that with sb 1070 people being picked up off the street and you know being asked for the license and that leading to ice contracts and people being taken to the immigration jaulas. and i think there's just so much that goes into the dreamer narrative and the good versus uh migrant narrative that kind of upholds that term that we should really start digging a little deeper and and looking at how the world works and how maybe that term isn't compatible with how the world actually is and a lot of the dream act versions are anti-black because they in in the legislation it says that you know if you have any type of criminal background then you don't qualify And if you're in a neighborhood with a heavy police presence where, you know, any interaction with the police can be considered criminal, 
then you automatically don't qualify for the DREAM Act. And a lot of organizations, especially like Latinx organizations that don't really have a Black immigrant population, they celebrate the DREAM Act. Um, and then we have Black organizations who are sharing their story and like nobody's listening to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important to highlight the voices of Black immigrants when it comes to to these types of legislations because at the end of the day they're the ones that will get affected the most yeah and we should always be supporting our black like friends like like no matter what mm -hmm. i think like how you were saying like a lot of the bills everyone celebrates them but it leaves out a big portion of 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 our communities and that's not fair and i think that goes back to what politicians like to focus on because black immigrants make up you said seven percent of the undocumented population who's going to focus on seven percent if I'm a politician, let me turn my attention over here to where most of the people are, most of the affected. And so whether it's by good or by bad, I'm getting to more people. Just ignoring people because they are a minority within a minority, that is what, you know, kind of digs them into a deeper hole. I think a lot of the, uh, I guess, like talking points and stuff, a lot of the things people can say are anti-Black. And I feel like people have a, a misconception that most migrants are Latino. And then when... I think politicians think of a Latino, they have a specific idea of what that looks like. But there are Afro-Latinos, Afro-Mexicanos, Latinos come in all like shapes and colors. Um, and there are also migrants from like Africa itself, like black migrants from from Europe, black migrants from all over. So I think it's it's unfair to, to say that an undocumented person kind of looks a specific way because I guess the undocumented experience kind of transcends like any national origin, any ethnicity. A lot of people are, are undocumented in the U.S. and they come from all over. So I think we should do more to to listen to to black organizations when they talk about the immigrant mm -hmm. experience, and we should be uplifting their voices. I think there's just a lot of stereotypes, um, and they live in in policies and legislations, and they're reproduced through how we organize and how we talk about the issues. So I think honestly, just uplifting voices is is the best way to go about that. One of the last things I want to touch on here is mental health when it comes to being considered or not considered a dreamer because like you said Karina you are considered a dreamer but could not get into the DACA program mm -hmm. and having lived your entire life as a fantastic student and upstanding citizen how were you mentally dealing with all of that with with like maybe even in terms of identity how did you see yourself how did you deal with that yourself um, I think probably when I heart, had the hardest time was in high school. Like I feel like for a lot of undocumented students, the hardest years are junior and senior year because that's when you start thinking about college and stuff. And then for me, not being able to get DACA affected me mentally a lot. I remember, you know, going to my counselor and telling her like, hey, like, how do I get to college? I'm undocumented. And they brought two counselors in the room. They should have told me, like, I couldn't go to college. Even though, again, I was in the top 1%, mm -hmm. they told me that there was nothing I could do. I just had to wait. Hopefully, like, I could apply for DACA, even though I told them, like, a million times I didn't qualify. So that was, like, the first time where I saw how resources weren't available to me because I didn't fit that th those things to be able to get the DACA program. And then also when it came to scholarships, I think... Another thing that is not often talked about is that there's a limited amount of scholarships and whether we know it or not, a lot of us are competing against each other. 
even if everybody, you know, even if we're sharing the same like three scholarships that are available to us within, within one another, at the end of the day, we're competing for them. And that also really messes you up because I remember how, you know, my senior year, we had like an awards ceremony and this friend, he was a DACA recipient and, you know, he kept getting, he kept getting up after getting like, like so many scholarships, he got thousands of dollars in scholarships. And it's like, for me, it's like, you're really happy for them because, you know, they're your friend, but at the same time, it's like, dang, what about me? Like these resources weren't available to me. I couldn't even apply to them. So it just really messes you up, messes things in your head. And I think it's still something that I'm still trying to process. And sometimes it's difficult to process that because you just don't know like how you feel or yeah, it's, it's hard. It's something that I think we'll probably deal with for, for a long time. Do you have any advice that you would give to yourself as a senior that you might know now? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) It's a a tough one. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, like, you know, things kind of fell into place. Um, So just like being patient, especially for like people who are students who are still in high school right now, just finding a community um, of other undocumented students because at the end of the day, they're they're the ones that have your back. They're the ones that, you know, share the same experience and you're able to talk to them. And yeah, I think that's that's really what got me through through college, just having a community because it's hard. <laughs> right. One of the things that I was kind of similar as yourself is to see see your friends kind of uh almost kind of go on without you, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, I felt that, like that a lot with my cousin. She was a year after me. So once when she graduated, she was, again, one of, one of the smartest women I've ever known. Top of her class. But see her also get, like, her entire university paid for everything. Scholarships, grants, mm-hmm. you know, everything that, uh, that she was able to do. And I was incredibly proud of her. I was so happy for her. But in the back of my mind, like, I was, you know, in a way felt jealous, like, like we grew up together, we did everything together, we went to school together, we did everything we did was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But yet you're over here and I'm over here, and uh, I, I, would, I would, thankfully in my own mind, I never put any on her. I was kind of like in my own mind, why isn't that me, sort of thing. And it took me years to kind of be okay with that. But I completely understand where what it is like seeing. Being happy for your friends, for your family, moving on, but not being able to, you know, do that yourself. I think it's what you guys are saying is super important. I think that kind of goes into like what comes after like that narrative and making programs and scholarships and all these things that students and people in like regular life apply for, like expand those criteria. So like even if, you know, like anyone can apply that goes for scholarships and for programs. So you don't feel like they were able to, to apply, but I couldn't apply. And a lot of the times there's not really any reason why like the criteria for different things are so closed. So I think like going beyond that and opening up criteria and not pitting people against each other, because I feel like sometimes it it, like kind of feels like that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're all pitted against each other, fighting for like the same types of resources and kind of moving beyond that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something really important, you know, to listeners. If you're like, okay, you had this conversation, like, what do I do now? That's one of the things that is really helpful if you see a scholarship that maybe just says open to DACA recipients or open to people who have a 
4.0 and have 20 hours of community service, like email that scholarship and be like, hey, I looked at your you know requirements and I noticed that you know, you have this, this, and this, but how come you don't expand your scholarship to undocumented students without DACA? And sometimes just asking goes a long way because those scholarships might have never gotten that question. Right. Like when Carlos and I were at ASU, there was a scholarship that was only open to DACA recipients. And then we created our own scholarship. We, our club created a scholarship that was open to all undocumented students. So I think doing things like that is really helpful and it goes, it helps out a lot of generations of undocumented students. I think that, that goes along with, with like the movement in general and organizing and organizations and like the talking points for, for pro-immigrant activists. Honestly, just refraining from perpetuating that narrative and, and pitting uh, undocumented people against each other. We should all be in community with each other. And if you see something that, you know, kind of leaves someone out, for a specific thing, calling them out or, or letting them know that maybe that's not the best way to, to to handle everything. Because at the end of the day, the talking points that we use is how people will see us. And mm -hmm. I think we should all be like united in community. Uh, that was an amazing conversation, you guys. Thank you so much for talking about that topic. I know it's pretty hard. I wanna say thank you to Frecuencia Alterna for actually housing the space we're in right now. The studio is amazing. Thank you to uh, Dom, Zenia, Fuerte, Cahoots, and everyone that supports the podcast, everyone listening at home that's shared, that's liked, that's talked to their tios, tias, families about us. Thank you to Danny, to Karina for being on. It was a really interesting conversation and I can't wait till next episode. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you.